0: Welcome to this, the second episode in the second series of Talking Terminal. A rambling offering to help you sleep. Today, just one simple discussion with my very well-established, as well as old friend, Andrew, who has not done a podcast with me before. Andrew, as you will discover, is a proper and professional broadcaster, as well as an intellect. So what he's doing here, goodness knows I just don't understand it, but he agreed to have a chat, and here it is. I'm now talking to my very special friend Andrew, who is in the retirement village known as Bradford on Avon. Sorry, oh, trouble that fast. I can't have to do that again. <laughs> We've built oh. a new house down here lately. There's a family moving in. Yeah, they're under sixty, <laughs> but it was built. But it was built from old houses. Is it three houses knocked into one? Oh, our house, our house. And the
1: house next door were originally three houses um, and they were stoneworkers cottages, Uh, but ours got knocked into one. Although when you go up into the loft, there's still a wall between the two, which is quite interesting. Oh, Um, really? God, I didn't know you had a loft. Yeah. Um, Well, a roof space, I should say. loft is a bit grandiose. Anyway, it's a beautiful village. It's got that little river running through it. Village? It's a town,
0: I'll have you know. It's a town. It's a town,
1: oh dear. These distinctions in
0: Wiltshire are particularly important. (laughs) There aren't many of them. We've known each other for donkeys' years. Well, quite an elderly donkey by now. (laughs) Dead donkey, more like, I thought. (laughs) So, um, I thought we'd have a little chat, because you are a professional broadcaster, amongst other things, and can teach me many things. And also, I thought we'd have a little chat about... Because you're in the middle of some weird treatment, and I'm in the middle of some weird treatment, so I thought we could compare treatments. And most importantly, we could talk about this government and its fantastic decision-making. They don't dither, do they? They don't dither. I'm... I,
1: I think all the way through from the start that circumstances have always run ahead of decisions right from March onwards. So it's always been a government that's reacting to something, um, albeit late in the day. Um, but I do think that... I'm going to say something that you will hate, to be fair to them. I think if you look at other countries, if you look at Germany... Uh, I mean, Germany's rate now has overtaken Britain and overtaken it within about two or three weeks. So it's gone from very low levels to very high levels. Italy, similarly, has just put in place a major lockdown there. So all bars, cafes and everything are closed. And I think, you know, I'm sure when it's analysed later, there will be good and bad. But you just feel that so many governments lag behind the events.
0: Yeah, I agree. But we we seem to lag. I'm I'm totally with you on, depending on the rates you're discussing, of course, (laughs) because... could be discussing rates of infection rates of death per hundred thousand you could be discussing the rising, etc etc but i certainly agree that italy germany and a number of other european and non you know there are some south american countries which are in a dire state so i i i totally agree with that i'm not anti the government per se i just feel that some of their decision making they flounder before they make a decision when actually had they made a decision to lock down and not go for this sort of freedom at christmas Christmas three or four weeks ago, everybody could have planned accordingly. As it is, you have, you know, literally an hour's notice to finish your Christmas shopping, and all the Christmas orders were closed by that point. So those of us that planned to be in one place and turn out to be at home, how do we get food? I mean, obviously, I'm fine because I prepared for this and I've got order. <laughs> I had an order ready. But that was, you know, craziness on my part. But for most people, it's very tricky. How do you manage in Bradford-on-Avon? I presume you just hit the local co-op, This Tesco. may come as
1: a surprise to you, but We've even in these rural areas, we have things called shops. You oh might have heard Lord. of them. Um, in fact, down here, it's... it's. I mean, it's not been so bad. I mean, we're tier two. You're now tier four. So the the level of restrictions here is is much less. Uh, throughout things like the local supermarket, have managed getting customers through the shop, I think, quite well and at quite a low level of risk. I think, coming back to your earlier point, the the other bit that I think has surprised, and I mean, obviously, there's a political tension here between economics and popularity as against where the virus is at. And I think what surprised the government was I, I think they thought for a time oh, it's mainly younger people getting it and it's not getting passed on. And I think what's happened over the last week is suddenly that rate of infection from a younger population to an older population has become much greater. And suddenly, you know, there's panic from the NHS that hospital beds are filling, not only filling up, but filling up at a more rapid rate than they were in March. And I think that's what's triggered the latest reaction and I think all the way through the the science, which I put in inverted commas, because it is only statistical calculations I think is the relationship between the number of people with the virus as compared to the throughput into hospitals Um, and I think for a time they thought they got that under control and suddenly now there's far more people presenting at hospitals
0: well, it's the first intellectual discussion I've had on Talking Terminal. Thank you. No offense to anybody else who I've been discussing things with. Oh, God. Yet another faux pas on my part. It's a good analysis i love it i like it a lot yeah yeah i like it a lot thank you and in terms of how that translates just in terms of the um non-hodgkin's lymphoma that you were diagnosed with you know, and know when you're about to start your third round of treatment on monday aren't you tomorrow tomorrow, tomorrow i'm gonna to have to i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to get this podcast out today oh my god yet another amateur mistake on my part uh, You've got to pick me up on it more quickly, help. But um, what's it like uh, in terms of accessing the hospital in its bath you go to? And It is. It, and I mean, the last time
1: I went, they said they had about 50 COVID patients. I would think that's probably increased since then, because that was three weeks ago. So I would estimate they've probably got about 70-odd. They do segregate the covid wards quite well from the non-covid from the cancer treatment obviously where i am and where i get the chemotherapy i think their big issue is is not about managing the space but about managing the staff one of the things they said when i was there last time is that they have had a lot of staff off um and so the problem is is managing consistent staff because they like to try and keep the same people doing the chemotherapy all the time so instead I think they've been pushed back onto using more agency staff than they would normally use.
0: And in a way, that can I mean that's reflects very much my experience at Bart's, where it's an entirely COVID free hospital. Uh, actually you've been to that. Uh, oncology ward with me or when we were allowed to go together and in fact most of the staff thankfully are the same staff throughout the last year or so so I like that because it means you get to know them and they get to know you and I think that can be quite helpful, not because I'm trying to find a close relationship with somebody while having an infusion, but at least I know, you know, the names of people, and they, they know my name, and I think that can be quite reassuring in some way. And is the treatment? I'm, is the treatment going all right? Number. Um,
1: the first round of chemotherapy that I had was awful. Um, I remember reading through the Macmillan leaflet of possible side effects you might get from the chemotherapy what i didn't realize was it was possible to get all of the side effects so i had just about everything from an infection (laughs) to constipation to strange tastes in my mouth to just about everything and and so that first bit was really, really rough, including going back into hospital for four days because of an infection, which meant there was only then three days between coming out of hospital and going in for the second round of chemotherapy. And there was a point then when I thought, I'm not sure I can hack this. You know, I didn't feel physically or really emotionally ready for that second round of chemotherapy. Now, fortunately the second round has been much better and this third week so this is in effect the sixth week of treatment has been the first week when I've felt relatively normal um and that's been good the only problem I've had this time is is sort of a bit biblical three days of diarrhea followed by three days of constipation followed by a plague of frogs um but (laughs) yeah the slang of the (laughs) firstborn yes yeah well I gather there's a lot of it about but um so I'm hoping on the basis that this second round has been easier, that the third round, therefore, will also be easier. But I know there's no prediction with this. And interestingly, I had a conversation with the consultant a couple of days ago. And what I do have, and you and I have talked about this, is this peripheral neuropathy in the fingers, which is this kind of tingling and numb sensation, which is it's not painful, but it's more disconcerting. It means doing up buttons is difficult. I've had to abandon the Levi 501s because it takes oh, me a yeah, while. Oh, yeah, those are right. tr- very tricky. I um, could be misinterpreted in a public So I've, um, I, I find that kind of a bit annoying. And the consultant said, well, in that case, we'll just, you're having our chop. We'll just take the O out, whatever that is, the, that drug. And that should help reduce the peripheral neuropathy. I, he didn't mention... Whether it then has any other side effects by removing it, like the foot drops off. Yes,
0: that's the, that is the question you'd want <laughs> yes. to ask, really, isn't it? Yes. At some point when you can those gear are the up. What you think of after you've put the phone back. <laughs> the Courage comes slow in my case, I can tell you. And tell me, have you, during those infusions, just talking of buttons and Levi 501s, have you had the experience uh, of trying to wheel the. Um, infusion line with the bleeper around to go to the loo when you're trying to do it one-handed and with buttons because that's that's a mistake i've made a couple of times and good grief it's a bit awkward
1: anybody who's ever had the shopping trolley with the wheel that doesn't work will be familiar with this problem because you set off to go to the toilet and unfortunately the stand that the drip is on sets off in a totally different direction um so there's always the potentiality at any point uh, to rip the cannula out of your arm, which I've, I've never yet done. The other thing, of course, is in manoeuvring you and the cannula stand in through the toilet door. Indeed. Uh, and then indeed. getting it to
0: the right side of the, the toilet, Try to like- wash your hands. <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> So, um, and then doing the buttons up on the five hundred ones, you're finished. Really, it's worse than the infusion. People going um, past shouting, "Are you still in there, Mister Kersley? I'm just doing the buttons. Hope, all right, Lord. I hope they I hope they say Professor Kerslake. For goodness sake. No,
1: no, no, no. no. We're all equal in the uh, the cancer world, I'm afraid. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Good. And you look, I mean, I know nobody who's listening to the podcast can can see you, but we're recording it in a manner where I can see you, and you look remarkably well. Well, I mean, you know, for a 30 year old, I, I think
1: it's slightly haggard. (laughs) <laughs> On the other hand, I'm not thirty. <laughs> I think I think one of the things we should say for for the benefit of people is not only that you and I have known each other for a very long time. In fact, I was probably in short trousers when we first met. But that it is bizarre that we have both got cancer at the same time. <laughs> so um, which seems, you know, to be frank, taking friendship a little far.
0: Really, but there is a nice thing about it. I keep looking at the silver linings. So I was, this is a bit wacky, but two silver linings that are worth mentioning briefly. One, in my case, knowing it's a terminal diagnosis, although I don't quite know when I'll die, I am quite, in a way, there's something quite freeing up about sort of knowing that time is limited it's a very strange thing but you know rather than it could happen at any time it is likely to happen in the next x number of months or year or whatever and there's something strangely liberating about that uh, because you get things done that otherwise you'd put off or you put off stuff that you can't be bothered to do in my case (laughs) and then the second thing is it allows us to have a conversation when we've both got it at the same time, and although they're completely different cancers, um, they have some sim- a lot of similarities, and so we can discuss things uh, and giggle and worry together about things in a way that you couldn't do with somebody who didn't have it. If you sort of I mean,
1: it would be fair to say I've never discussed
0: my bowels so much
1: <laughs> with anybody other than yourself.
0: No, I know. But- did you? Did you- But I love the fact when I had the... um, We must end it at this point, I think. But I love the fact that when I was having the cancer in the colon removed and you so kindly came up to see me in the hospital all the way from Bradford-on-Avon before COVID, I was very touched by you doing that so often. Um, One of the things I was very struck by when a nurse had said to me, uh, have you managed to use the loo yet? And I said, yes, I have. And then she lifted out of her sort of watch pocket a little laminate card with every type of turd you could imagine. I can't believe somebody makes money out of printing those. And I want to know what happens when they go home and say to their children, you know, have you had a nice day at school, dear? Yes. What have you been doing, Daddy? Well, I've been printing turd cards. (laughs) I think it's a bit like train spotting, you know. You can can get different types and styles. But uh, Go on. No, all I was going to say was would you be willing to, after this next round, engage again in another podcast and we could all catch up on how you are?
1: The pleasure would be entirely mine, if not the audience.
0: That's <laughs> well, that's kind of you to assume there is an audience. You know, the main thing here is talking terminal helps you sleep. Good. I will love you and I will leave you, Andrew. You. It's so good. Thank you so much. So... That was good fun, wasn't it? And what an interesting person to have a discussion with. We'll follow up on how Andrew gets on with his third round in the next podcast and there will be a book review and you are going to be exposed to some of my music. So that is something to look forward to or avoid, depending on perspective. Thanks for listening and have a very happy Christmas.